Thanks for your interest in Emmanuel Baptist. Here at Emmanuel, we believe in the one and only authoritative text for guidance, the Holy Bible. We pray that this sermon will speak to your heart and open your eyes to the glory of God. Make sure you plug into your local church and get to know others that love the Holy Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, just like you. Thanks again, and God bless you guys. Well, friends, what in the world is going on in the world? We are in the midst of a global pandemic. Everyone is on lockdown or is in isolation, not just here in North Carolina, United States, but almost every country in the world, uh, everywhere, India, uh, where I've been in Belize and Central America, Europe, everywhere. This COVID-19 pandemic is is going everywhere, it's affecting everybody in the world, and many of us are saying, where is God in all this? What is God up to? Is God up to anything at all? Is he even present? Well, not just the COVID-19 virus going on, but of course, all this kind of goes back to China. What in the world's happening in China? And we just, we hear all kinds of news reports that it was on purpose, it wasn't on purpose. Uh, China is, is, a, is a big bear, and it wants to devour the United States. I don't know. And then we got the EU is falling apart. England is at the Brexit and leaving EU, and so many other countries in the EU want to leave the EU now. At least there's a growing movement for that, and that will be historic if that breaks apart completely and just might. And then the news recently, North Korea, with, the, with their president or their premier or their dictator for life dead. Well, he may not be dead, but what's going on over there? Is God anywhere close to that part of the world? And then of course, you know, our United States uh, military is having some confrontations with Iran in the waters there. So what is going on? What is God up to in our world? Then let's bring it down a little closer. The stock market goes up, the stock market goes down. You know, and we hear these things and that thing. We hear jobs are really bad because of the pandemic and the economy. What's going to happen? Is it going to get better? Is it going to get worse? I mean, it was just, just an uncertain time right now. So as Christians... We trust in God that we say who's in charge. We say God's in charge. We kind of sang that a little bit in our songs here. We say as Christians, God is sovereign and God is in charge. Do we really believe that? Or just going through the motions? Today, as I mentioned earlier, we're going to start a series on Daniel. And Daniel was written about 2,500 years ago, but it's relevant for us today. What Daniel goes through in these 12 chapters, we can really glean a lot for our life today in the church, in our individual lives, in our country. Daniel is going to give us a glimpse of what God is up to. In this chapter, but I think all 12 chapters, we're going to see that Daniel is showing us through these stories and through his dreams and visions what God is up to. In chapter 1, he gives us three, at least three truths about God for today. What I just read in verses 1 through 7 is that God rules sovereignty over, his, over the nations. Here we go. Joey, it's not, not advancing. All right, there he goes. God rules sovereignly over the nations, verses 1 through 7. Now, let me give some context, historical context is going on here. Judah, the southern nation of Judah, is in exile in Babylon. Let's back up a little bit. 
About 1000 BC, more or less, give or take 100 years, we have what was called the United Kingdom. The 12 tribes of Israel were united under a king. First King Saul, and then King David, and then King Solomon. Uh, those three kings, for about 120 years, ruled over all 12 tribes of the United Kingdom. After Solomon died, the kingdom divided into two. The, the 10 northern tribes divided up and split, became the nation of Israel, and the southern two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, became the nation of Judah. Uh, about 150 years later, more or less, the, the, uh, the bad boy on the block was the Assyrians, and the Assyrians uh, violently conquered the northern nation of Israel and spread them all throughout the empire. The lost ten tribes of Israel are lost. They're everywhere. They're gone. That just left the tribe of Judah, and they were not captured or defeated by the Assyrians. But later on, the Assyrians fell to the Babylonians, and the Babylonians became the, the world power of that part of the world at that time, and eventually put pressure on uh, Israel, or that really Judah, and Jerusalem, the city, and eventually defeated them, and took, uh, at three different times, took uh, people into exile. And later on from our text here, the, uh, the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed at this point. Not quite, but getting there. There are three times in which exiles, people taken from Judah and taken in exile into Babylon. And with Daniel here in chapter 1 is the first time this happens. So what's happening here? Well, all through the, the prophets, especially the prophets Jeremiah and Ezekiel in particular, uh, they were contemporaries to Daniel at this time. Uh, they are preaching that because of Israel's sin uh, or Judah's sin, because they were in idolatry, they were not worshiping God as they should, they were put, if I can say it this way, they were put in timeout. Uh, they were put in exile. We're going to take you away from your, from your land, God is saying, and even the temple, and put you in exile for 70 years. This is temporary. Jeremiah said through his prophecy this would be only for 70 years. Well, that would be important later on in the book of Daniel. So Jeremiah really stays in uh, Judah around Jerusalem during this time, and he's the one prophesying before uh, Babylon defeated them and after they defeated them, but he stayed in Jerusalem area or the Judean area, and Ezekiel, he was taken into captivity, and he was with the captives in Babylon later on. These are contemporary prophets. They are there because God is punishing his people. They are in time out. They are in 70 years in exile in the uh, uh, nation of Babylon. Let's look at verse 2. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand and some of the vessels of the house of God. The emphasis here, I want to say, is that the Lord gave. This is the Lord's doings. A lot of times in, in ancient times during this time period and before, when, when a nation would defeat another nation, they'd say, well, that, their nation's gods is more powerful than this nation's god or gods. That's why they lost. So those in Jerusalem or those in Judea said, we are safe because God's temple is here and God is the God of all gods and we can't lose. What's happening now? The Babylonians defeated the Judeans, the Israelites. And some are saying, oh no, the Babylonian God is more powerful than our God, Jehovah, or Yahweh. And Ezekiel and, and Jeremiah are saying that's not true. 
Notice that the writer here of Daniel, Daniel is saying the Lord gave, the Lord is in charge. The Lord gave their king, Jehoiakim, into the hands of the Babylonians. He's really a vassal king. The king, the, the emperor of, of Babylon, made this Jew, made this Israelite the king. I think he was in the, the, the line of David, but he's the one who put him on the throne. But Daniel is saying this is the Lord's doing. The, the Lord did this. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. That's important. And during this time here, he takes these four boys, four young men, there in, in verses 6 and following. They were of the nobility class. They were uh, bright and handsome and young, probably teenagers, I'm guessing. They're probably 16 years of age, more or less. Uh, we don't know for sure, but they were young men. And um, the, the, what they wanted to do is get the brightest and best and take them back to Babylon and to assimilate them into their culture for service into the government. That will be clear as we go along in the other chapters of the book of Daniel. In verse 4, they're going to teach them, they're going to college. <laughs> and they're going to teach them all the literature and the language of Chaldeans, the Babylonians. It's going to make them Babylonians, really, and going to train them so they can be in government service, so they can serve the king in his palace. These are the brightest and the best of the Hebrews, and going to be the brightest and the best in, the, in Babylon. And you see that the names uh, of, of these four young men, and these are Hebrew names. Daniel means God is my judge, here in verse 7. Hananiah is Yahweh is gracious. Mishael is who is what God is, and Isaiah is Yahweh is a helper. These are Hebrew name, names. These are uh, Israelite names that they have been named. So they come into Babylon, they're given new names. They're given Babylonian names. Daniel is Belshazzar, which means O lady, O lady, wife of the god Baal, protect the king. And Shadrach means command of Ahu, which is the moon god. Meshach is who, like, who is like Aku. And Abednego, servants of the shining one, meaning Nemo. So they were given new names. They were given name, Babylonian names. You see, they're trying to be assimilated already into the Babylonian culture. Now, to name someone means you're over them. You have authority over them. Our, when we're born, we don't get to choose our names then or later on. Our parents choose our names because they have authority over us. Some people like our, our names. Some people don't like our names, but that's just too bad. And when we get our pets, sometimes we let our children name the pets. Or we name pets because we have authority over them. Now, if you look, remember in Scripture, God changed Abram's name to Abraham. Part of that is that he has authority over him. And he, cha and he changed his wife's name, Sarai, to Sarah, and even changed Jacob to Israel. Now, they all have different meanings there, but we see names being given or changed to express authority over them. So that's what we're seeing here, that the Babylonians are expressing authority over these four young men. Now, let me say very, very frankly that our culture our Western culture, our American culture, our pagan culture is trying to assimilate us. It's trying to make us into its image. The Western culture and American culture in particular is very materialistic. 
we say sometimes, almost as a joke, but in some cases it's true, uh, whoever has the most toys wins. It's kind of keep up with the Joneses used to say. We try, this is, this is the American way, get more, get more, get more, have more stuff, have more stuff, have more stuff. That's materialism. Also part of our culture is naturalism. That's really the official philosophy, worldview of our American culture is all there exists is nature. All there exists is the physical. There is no God. There is no spirit. It's just physical. Everything is physical. And when you die, you die like a dog and you go. It doesn't make any difference. It's just physical. Also in our culture, our culture is trying to redefine marriage and the family. The traditional view is a one man, one woman for one life. And out of that union is produced children. Now there have been problems out of, out of that over the years, not problems with it, but there's always not been the ideal, but in the last 50 years, 40 or 50 years, our culture is trying to redefine where two women can be married, two men can be married, and you know all the details of those kind of things. But our culture is trying to redefine marriage and the family. Our culture is trying to redefine by getting religion out of the marketplace of ideas. You can't discuss God. You can't discuss Jesus. You can't discuss, discuss the Holy Spirit publicly. In the university or in the public forums in different places of our country, because we, we push religion out, that's kind of a redefining relationship between the church and the state. It's all right to be a Christian, kind of like a hobby. Do what you want to on Sundays, on the weekends. But during the rest of the week, you can't talk about it. You can't do this. So you, you know what I'm talking about. Our culture is trying to assimilate us into its image. I think much has happened in our culture in the last 50 to 100 years. And maybe you feel like Daniel in a strange country. They're speaking a strange language here. They're trying to get me to do things I'm not used to. So how do we resist from being assimilated? As followers of God, followers of Jesus Christ, as Christians, how do we resist being assimilated? Now, the text doesn't say this, but I bet Daniel had his mind being renewed by the Word of God. I think he knew the Scriptures. Now, later on, Paul says in Romans 12, 2, a passage you're very familiar with, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Now, how is your mind renewed? It's through by God's Word. There was a translation of the, of the Bible, I think of the New Testament, um, back in the 50s, I believe, by a guy named Phillips, uh, a Greek scholar. And I like how he translates Romans 12 too. He says, don't let the world press you into its mold. Uh, that's, that's very, I like that. We're resisting the world trying to press us into its mold, and we need to resist that by God's word. 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17 says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. I know Daniel knew Scripture. He had to know Scripture. And I think that kept him from being completely assimilated into the, this pagan uh, Babylonian culture. I think for us, too, to, be, to resist being assimilated into our Western culture, our godless pagan culture is through being in God's word, transformed by God's word. You see, friends, I think our text is showing us that God rules in a sovereign way over the nations, over Babylon, over Judah, over the United States of America, 
in any other country in the world. He is sovereign over all the nations, our nation. And the word to you today is don't despair. God is at work in our nation. So God rules sovereignly over the nations. Second, God works quietly behind the scenes. Look at verses 8 through 16. We'll read that. Verse 8. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and your drink, for why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king? Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azai, test your servants for ten days, and let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. And let our parents and the parents of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you, and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this manner and tested them for ten days. At the end of ten days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away the food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. So we're seeing God working behind the scenes here. Now, in verse 8, Daniel did not want to defile himself. Now, what does that mean? Well, of course, we have the, the uh, dietary laws in the Old Testament. I'm sure Daniel understood and tried to apply. But I would think any kind of food in Babylon was unclean food to Daniel. I mean, the whole thing was. Because all of it was given to the pagan gods and so forth. So I'm sure that wasn't really the issue. I think what was going on here is that uh, kind of a, by eating the king's food, he was showing he was dependent upon the king. And I think Daniel wanted to say, no, I'm dependent upon God. I'm going to trust God with these fresh vegetables and water instead of depending upon the king. And again, look at verse 9. It says that uh, God gave Daniel favor. Let me stop back for a second and say, as we look at the Old Testament in particular, the, the main character, the hero in every story, in every uh, place in the Old Testament is God. You see, God's the main character here. God gave the king into Babylon's hand. God gave Daniel favor. God is at work here quietly behind the scenes now Daniel was told by this steward by this chief of, of all these people you know to eat this food and Daniel didn't really want to and ask but the the chief was a little concerned I can't do this because if if this doesn't work my head's on the line so Daniel does in a quiet way without making a fuss he goes the next guy down he goes to the steward under the chief who's really responsible for Daniel and his friends. And he, he goes very politely, very gracious, very humble in spirit. He comes to him and says, look, look, just give us 10 days. I mean, don't do the whole thing permanently. Let's do it for 10 days, and you'll see. If it doesn't work, we'll do what you say, but give us 10 days of what we request, vegetables and water, and we'll show you. And he said, well, okay, 10 days, I can do 10 days. Notice in verse 11, I think it's interesting that the Hebrew names are given there. Now, the Babylonian names. I think it's interesting. I guess, again, showing not trying to be assimilated into the pagan culture as much as they can. They got to be someplace. 
and they are not allowing themselves to be completely assimilated into that culture. Now remember with me in, in the book of Exodus, Moses somehow, probably from his mother, realized growing up, even though he was a prince of Egypt, he was in Pharaoh's court, growing up in all that splendor, he knew he was an Egyptian. He knew he was Hebrew. Later on in that book, and I think in, in chapter 1 or 2 of, of Exodus, he sees these people fighting, and he, um, these Hebrews fighting, I believe, and he, they, he understands, he thinks he is a redeemer, a deliverer of these Hebrews, because he knew he was Hebrew. He went out to see the Hebrews, his own brethren. Now, he was assimilated to a certain degree in Egyptian culture, but he realized he was not Egyptian. He realized he really was Hebrew. He was not completely assimilated. Now, friends, even though you're not aware of it, God's at work. Now, until this virus hit, we were on Sunday nights studying experiencing God, and that's kind of the theme of experiencing God. God is always at work around you. Let's figure out where it is and join him. So here we see God is at work. Now, when he's working in your life, when you realize that, you will become more patient. You become less fearing. You become less anxious, and and you're trusting God more and more. When you realize God's at work, things change in your attitude. Daniel trusted God in the process. He, was, he wasn't upset with God or with the steward or with uh, the chief. He did it quietly and humbly. Now, I think one of the problems you and I have, I know I have sometimes, is that, is that we sometimes try to help God out. We try to do this or not do that. And, and, and if you're like me, I'm sure this is true. When you try to help God out, what happens? You make things worse. That's happened to me. We usually mess things up when we try to help God out. Instead of trusting God to to be and to do only what he can be and do. That doesn't mean you don't do nothing. doesn't mean you don't do anything when I say trust God. Daniel, see what Daniel did. He went to the chief guy and he politely asked, but he said, I can't do this. So he went politely and quietly to the immediate supervisor the, uh, the steward. So Daniel did something, but as he was doing something, he was trusting God. He probed to see where God was working. Not the chief. Okay, with the steward. So friends, ask God to show you how he's working behind the scenes in your life. In the life of our church. In the life of Kinston. In our nation. And in the world, what God, what are you doing? We're going to trust you. And he's going to show us that he's working quietly behind the scenes. Let me suggest a resource for you if you're not familiar with. Write this down. It's called Breaking Christian News. It's an email I get uh, once a week, a couple times a week. Uh, get online and find it and, and subscribe to it. Breaking Christian News. Get it? They tell you stories you don't hear in the media that are true stories. I mean, what's happened, what God is doing in this country and around the world is just very encouraging to see what God's doing that you won't hear in the media. Let me go off topic just, just for one second. This is not part of the sermon. Verse 15, at the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate their uh, king's food. 
I think we've had a fad in the past about uh, the Daniel diet. Have you ladies in the Daniel diet, you men, remember that? Supposed to lose weight. Now, according to this, in chapter 15, they got fatter with this Daniel diet, right? I'm, I'm, I'm just saying, I'm just saying. Okay, uh, okay. Now, that's, off, that's off subject completely. Okay. So God rules sovereignly over the nations, and God works quietly behind the scenes. And third, God gives graciously what is needed. Again, let's look at verse 17 to 21. And for these four use, God gave them learning and skill and all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among them all of them was none found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king. And every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Back at first, uh, verse 17, again, God gave. You see God's active here? God's not passive. God is active in Babylon. God is in charge here. God gave Daniel and his friends great learning and skill. In fact, they were at the top of their class. These four guys were either all number one or one, two, three, and four. Of all the young men that were in training in this so-called college, you will, for government service, they were at the top of the class. In fact, if you look at carefully what it says here, look at verse 20 again. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them, now it says 10 times better, not 10 times better than all their classmates, but 10 times better than all the magicians and enchanters who were in his kingdom. He would, they were 10 times better than the professionals. They were head and shoulders above everybody. Verse 21 seems out of place. We got Daniel's a young man, 17 to 20 years old perhaps, and Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. We, we've jumped ahead 70 years. Cyrus is the king of the Medes and Persians. They're the ones that defeat the Babylonians. And he's the one that lets the, the Israelites go back to the promised land after the exile's over. So it seems kind of funny out of place. But it, it, we, we jump from age 18 or 20 to age 75 or 80 of Daniel. So what is the writer saying to us? I think the writer is saying Daniel outlasts the Babylonian Empire. Now, some of you young people don't remember this, but some of us older ones do, when uh, there was the USSR, the Soviets, and they ruled the Iron Fist, not just Russia, but other nations in the Eastern Bloc, and they were ruthless, and they were going to last for a thousand years. Now, that was, that was uh, Nazi Germany, wasn't it? Uh, but they fell after about 70 years. A lot of people outlasted the Soviet Union. Here, Daniel outlasts the Babylonian Empire. And we'll see that as we go through the rest of the book of Daniel. God will provide for us so we can have faithful service to him. Daniel is a faithful servant of the Babylonian government and even to the Persian government 70 years later. God provides. So the question is, what do you need? What needs to be provided for you? Whatever you need, God will graciously provide it for you. You might not be better than the pros, 
but God will provide. What do you need? Do you need salvation? Do you need your sins forgiven so you can have that relationship with God? Do you have, so you said the brokenness in your life can be healed? Do you need health, physical health or mental health? Do you need resources? It might be financial resources or emotional resources or physical resources. What, 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 what are your needs? What do you need? Do you have a broken relationship or broken relationships that need healing? Do you need endurance? Is that what you need? Do you need success in a project you're working on? Do you need wisdom? What, whatever you need, God will provide it for you graciously. Don't fret. God will provide it for you. You see, friends, kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall. But God's people go on. That's what happened to Daniel here. God's people go on. It's a great quote from C.S. Lewis. Uh, a sermon he gave in Oxford called The Weight of Glory. It's written down, The Weight of Glory. I commend that sermon to you. He says, in it, nature, the universe, is mortal. We shall outlive her. When all the sons, all the nebulae have passed away, each one of you will still be alive. Wow. We will live longer than the universe. One day, the universe will be destroyed, and God's people will still be living in new heavens and new earth. We will outlast the universe. We will outlast evil kingdoms. Remember that the servants of God, like Daniel, and like you, and like me, will simply out-endure the kingdoms of this age. So what does that mean for us today. I got one word. If you hear nothing else, hear this one word. Chill. God's in control of the world. God's in control of our nation. And God's in control of our families. Chill. Don't, don't fret. God's got this. God is sovereign. Trust him. And I want you to see him at work around us. It may not be obvious, but he was at work in Daniel and his friend's life here in chapter 1. And he's at work right now in your life and my life and life of our nation and world. So what is God up to? He is sovereignly ruling over our nation, over the nations. He is quietly working behind the scenes in your life and the life of our nation life of our world, and he is graciously giving what is needed. Trust him. Be like Daniel. Let me pray. Lord, what a start of this book. Really a defeated nation and young, bright men taken to service of that pagan nation, but how these men, Daniel in particular, but his friends too, trusted you and everything that they needed. We trust you, Father. Help us just to chill. Help us just to trust in you. Help us to, to probe quietly where you might be at work, like Daniel did. But trust you in all things. We love you. We thank you for the situation in our nation, the COVID-19 virus and other things. But help us just to trust in you and see you at work. For this we pray in Jesus' name.